Luke chapter 23. Let me remind you the verses that we read this morning from verse 40 concerning the two thieves who were crucified with Jesus. One of them had been blaspheming the Lord, but the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray once more. O God, by your spirit, instruct us. Help us to concentrate this evening on your word, to rely this evening upon your spirit, and to know this night your sweet blessings in our souls. Encourage us, O God, instruct us, challenge us, guide us, that we may learn to to do well with the time and the energies afforded to us for the glory and honour of Christ in the earth. For we ask it in his name. Amen. What's the one adjective that you think of concerning this rebel, this man on the cross next to Jesus? He is the what thief? He's the dying thief. That's who we think about. That's how we label him. That's who we sing about him. William Cooper, I'm not saying it's his fault, but he has put in our minds and in our memories the dying thief who saw the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ and understood the mercy that was flowing toward him. I think because we're so accustomed to considering the dying thief, we actually often forget the living thief. He is still alive when we meet him. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, he has just been put upon a cross at this place, Calvary. And he trusts this Jesus as he's hanging upon the cross. And he serves this Jesus as he is hanging upon the cross. Now, we make no bones about his history. He was clearly a sinful man who had lived a wicked life. We don't know everything that had taken place. There are a number of theories about uh, exactly who he was, what his background might have been, what he might have been engaged in. But somewhere along the line, he's taken those series of wrong turns. And over the course of his life, however long or short it may have been, he has degenerated to a violent criminal. Robbery with violence is his stock in trade. He may even have been a a compatriot of Barabbas in, in those rebellions. And that sinful man comes to the end of his wicked life. And Luke records for us his last moments. He is hanging on a cross now alongside Jesus of Nazareth. What now? What hope does this man have? Surely this is the end. And it would have been entirely, unless God 
by his gracious spirit, had not begun to work in that man's heart in the very last minutes or perhaps at best hours of his life. And in those moments, the thief turns to Jesus Christ in faith. Still living, he now begins truly to live. And what next? How is he going to serve? If there were any a man in history who might have said, I don't have time, I don't have energy, and I don't have opportunity, it would have been a man who is staring death in the face, hanging by his hands and his feet on a cross as his lifeblood drains away and he feels the air in his lungs slowly being forced out of his system. If any man might have excused himself from usefulness, it would have been the man who hung upon the cross next to Jesus Christ. But in those few minutes, in those few hours, this man brought forth fruits worthy of repentance. And I want to consider with you just briefly this evening how he trusted and how he served in the few moments that he was given for the honour of Jesus Christ. The first thing you need to notice is that this man honoured Christ openly. He defends his person and character in the face of all the assaults and the insults that are rolling in upon Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he's only one man. The way Luke presents the narrative, and, uh, and we see a little more in due course, the other gospel writers give us slightly different perspectives, but as Luke sets this forth, he is the only voice that is raised in this context in defence of the Lord Jesus. He answers all the charges that are brought against the Lord. Can you do the same? You're not even hanging on the cross. You've got plenty of breath in your body, most of us, or at least enough. How often do we hear our Lord Christ being slandered? How often do we hear our Saviour blasphemed? How easily have we habituated ourselves? Have we accustomed ourselves to shrugging off the kind of casual dismission of Jesus Christ that is typical of the age in which we live, his name taken in vain, his worship mocked and scorned, his character dismissed. Those of you who spend much time on social media, if you look at reels or shorts or pictures, if they're flowing across your screen in any kind of algorithm, you will very quickly come across some words or pictures that are essentially blasphemous. When you go to school, when you go to work, when you talk with your neighbours, Christ is not going to be honoured. And this man, though one amongst many and himself already despised, he took a stand alone for Jesus Christ. He honoured Christ openly and then further he justified Christ entirely he's very specific this man has done nothing wrong 
to some extent at least, he understands the perfections of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an innocent man, perhaps even more. This is a righteous man. Christ has often been accused. Uh, the, the things that have been levelled against him, the allegations brought against him. Yes, Pilate said, I find nothing wrong in this man. He's done nothing wrong. He's an innocent man. But still they have brought the charges. And in the end, he's been condemned nonetheless. And yet this man is now maintaining the same truth. This man has done nothing wrong. And to Christ... And sometimes by extension to his people, all manner of wickednesses are often traced back. Have you ever been in a conversation where someone has basically said something like, well, <clears throat> all wars are religious wars at root. Or Christians are responsible for most of the trouble in this world. And by extension, if it weren't for Jesus of Nazareth, the world would be a happier and a better place. This man has done nothing wrong. The thief knew that in those few moments that he had on the cross alongside of Jesus Christ. And he proclaimed his innocence. Honouring Christ openly, he justified Christ entirely. The allegations and the assertions that you bring against this man are false. Do you make that known? Do you take a stand in this way for the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just honouring him openly, but justifying him. He is not who you say he is. He has not done what you claim he has done. His people are not the people you make them out to be. The third thing he does in the time, with the opportunity, with the energies that are available to him, he approached Christ humbly. We're suffering justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. That's a way to honour Jesus Christ. That's a way that all of us can do. No self-righteousness, no self-justification, not this man has done nothing wrong, and I'm not as bad as everybody thinks either, but we suffer justly. This is the innocent man. This is the righteous man. I deserve condemnation. We receive the due reward for our deeds. Whatever sufferings I may undergo, whatever pains I face, what other troubles I have to deal with, they are nothing compared to what I deserve as a sinner. No backpedaling. No excuse making. No boasting in self. Brothers and sisters, when we boast in ourselves, we are denying Jesus Christ. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a saviour. If you're not that bad of a sinner, then you don't need this kind of a saviour. To exalt or elevate ourselves is by definition to diminish or even to dismiss Jesus Christ. We honour him. We testify of his excellencies and our dependence upon him and all that belongs to him when we approach Christ humbly. And then he preached Christ clearly. He witnessed to his companion in crime. 
One of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying... I like that sequence of verbs. Answering, rebuked, and said, I need to respond to you, and what you're saying is not right, and I have something to say to you. Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? What might the other thief have turned around and said to him? Me under the same condemnation? Have you looked at yourself recently? It's a bit like Peter, isn't it, on the day of Pentecost? They could have turned round and said to Peter, you're the man who denied him. But Peter at this point is not confessing his sins, although this man does that. He's dealing with theirs. You're under the same condemnation. You need this man. He doesn't just change his own mind about Jesus Christ. He doesn't just simply draw an inward conclusion and allow it to rest. Once the truth about Jesus Christ has gripped this thief as he lives on the cross, he must speak to others about his Saviour. And you notice how he begins. He tells his fellow sinner about his sin as well as about his Saviour. We are under the same condemnation. You are suffering in the same way and you and I are suffering justly. I love the interchange here of the, 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 the first person singular and the first person, uh, the, sorry, the second person singular and the first person plural. You and we. You are under the same condemnation. We are suffering justly for we reserve the due, receive the due reward of our deeds. Now, have we done this? It's a strange pulpit, isn't it? hanging on a cross it's a small congregation it's one person maybe others are listening in it's not a very likely candidate is it but then the man who's telling him this wasn't a likely candidate was he he speaks to somebody he knows he speaks to somebody like him John Bunyan, after he was converted, some of you will know that John Bunyan was considered uh, in the the village where he lived to be uh, the worst kind of a man. Uh, In fact, one of the things that really spooked John Bunyan on one occasion was hearing a mother threatening her son that if if the son didn't pay attention to his mother, he better watch out or he could end up like that John Bunyan. Bunyan didn't realise he'd become a proverb in the village for a wicked man. What happened when John Bunyan was converted? I have to go back to the people that I led into sin. I need to go back to my old companions. My friends, when you're converted, you've immediately got a mission field on your doorstep. The people that you used to run with, the folks that you used to know, the people with whom you used to have those kinds of relationships. Now, as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you may not keep those relationships for very long. They are likely to turn their back upon you. You will not always find it easy to spend time with them if they continue in a path of wickedness. But there is what you might call that happy moment of opportunity. 
where you have the chance to speak to them, perhaps one by one. You're under the same condemnation. We ourselves have sinned and deserve this judgment. But this man has done nothing wrong. And you might say, I'm not very well constituted for this. Tonight you probably have more air in your lungs than the thief on the cross. You might say, I don't always find the circumstances very conducive to this. And you do not have nails in your hands and in your feet. He preached Christ clearly. Have I done this as I am able? He worshipped Christ sincerely. We've seen once or twice in the course of Luke's Gospel those moments when Christ talks about the wonderful faith that is found in an unexpected place. Although Luke does not explicitly tell us the same here, and our Lord is saving his breath for some of the particulars that need to be spoken, I think he might have said, I have not often seen such faith. If you were hanging there next to Jesus of Nazareth, do you think you'd have seen a king? That's what we asked this morning, isn't it? The crown of thorns, that's a joke. The sign, the king of the Jews, this one, that's mockery. The body, utterly torn apart. The bones now not broken, but out of joint. The face pulped. The head bowed under an agony, not just of the body, but of the soul. And the thief, as he lived, looked at Jesus of Nazareth, called him Lord, and spoke to him as his king. This despised Nazarene, assumed in the eyes of this thief, by the faith that was worked in his soul by the Holy Spirit, these majestic, heroic, heavenly proportions, and he addressed him accordingly. Who do you ask to remember you when he comes into his kingdom? Not a slave, not a serf, not even a rich man. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you understand how faith is operating there? Do you see what faith sees? The eyes of the flesh See a dying wretch, a despicable criminal. The eyes of the thief opened by faith see a king about to inherit his kingdom. And he asks Jesus to deal with him on that basis. He gives him honour. He submits to his authority. He desires his kingdom. My friends, do we honour Christ in the way that the living thief did? Do we esteem him in that way? Have we perhaps, even though we might wish to honour him, 
or imagine that we're honouring him, though we often keep silent about him? Have we allowed the constant din of this world's assessment to diminish Jesus Christ in our eyes? Do we delight in him as we ought? Do we honour him as we should? Is he altogether lovely to us and perhaps never lovelier than when we contemplate him suffering and dying on the cross for us? In one sense, there's, there's no higher throne than Christ's cross. There's no greater demonstration of his strength and majesty than when he hangs there for us to save us from our sins. Do we worship him when he is despised? Do we worship him when everyone else seems to think so little of him? Do we worship him when his kingdom seems not to be coming? These are dangerous days for the church of Jesus Christ. We seem to be on the back foot for generations. Christians have been seeing Christianity seemingly diminish. There are whole generations of believers who know of nothing better in some senses than watching the church slide downhill. Remembering when there were so many people. Remembering when there used to be that kind of power, that kind of unity, that kind of progress. Do we still worship the king in his kingdom? Do we still honour him even though he is in this way, clothed in humiliation. The living thief honoured Christ openly, justified Christ entirely, approached Christ humbly, preached Christ clearly, worshipped Christ sincerely, and confessed Christ publicly. I don't know how much voice he had left, enough at first to speak across to the thief on the other side, Maybe that Christ is in the middle as the, the chief of sinners. And then the two on the, the other side. It may even be that they're in a, almost a knot, just almost looking at one another. But before that apathetic crowd who looked at Christ without any real feeling, before those sneering rulers of the Jews, before those Romans who were laughing at this king of the Jews, so-called, and with his brother in arms, with his fellow thief, joining in the mockery and scorn in this agony of desperation, this is the one voice that looks at Jesus and asks him, Lord, will you remember me? He testifies, he confesses Christ publicly. He pledges his allegiance to him. You understand what a joke this might have seemed? You're going to trust him now under these circumstances? I mean, we can almost imagine someone thinking he was something when he was strolling around Judea and accomplishing these mighty acts. But you're going to trust him now? You're going to lift your voice now with those few breaths you can still force out of your tortured lungs. You're going to call this man Lord. You're going to deal with him as a king. Yes, I will submit myself to him. I will pledge allegiance to him despite all your mockery and despite your unbelief. I will call him my Lord here and now. 
Now do we do this? Are we ready to do this? You can sing in the building, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. And you give the lie when you walk outside, don't you? I say that less by way of accusation you understand than by confession. It's all too easy for us to be the great testimony, the great testifier in here, the, the great witness in here, to sing these robust old hymns of, of declaration concerning Jesus Christ. But how many of us openly call our Saviour, my Lord and my God, before the mocking eyes and ears of the world? He confessed Christ publicly. How many people know that you're a Christian? I don't mean how many people have figured out that you go to church on Sunday. That, that's our usual fudge, isn't it? I go to church. It's not quite the same as saying I'm a Christian, is it? Do they know that you follow Jesus Christ? Do they know that you're his disciple? Do they understand how you love and esteem him as your Lord, your God and your Redeemer? This man had moments. He had barely a few breaths. He had so little energy, but they knew it about him. And then he petitioned Christ earnestly. What a sweet way to honour our king, to call upon him. This man offered what a lot of the older commentators, you find the phrase crop up again and again, a model prayer, a paradigm prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What is so exemplary about praying like that? What gives us such a good testimony as to what real prayer is? It's the prayer of a man who is casting his soul entirely upon Christ for salvation without any thought or hint of any contribution of his own. It's the flip side of him saying, we receive the due reward of our deeds. I am a sinner. We deserve this condemnation. We have no merit of our own to plead. But Lord, you remember me. You deal with me. You bless me. You help me. You show favour toward me. There's no bargaining here. There's no offering, no trade-off, no boast. All his expectation is from Christ. All his dependence is upon Christ. You may be able to do nothing but this. And yet such petitions honour Jesus Christ. You may have come to the absolute end of your tether. You may feel that you don't know what to do next. You may feel that your resources have been exhausted. Your patience has run dry. Your efforts seem to have come to nothing. Your obstacles are too great for you to overcome. The challenges are more than you can bear. The repeated disappointments have brought you low. Your expectations have been dashed. Your, your pleas have yet to be answered. How can you honour Christ when you feel like you have nowhere else to turn and nothing more to offer? By asking your Lord to remember you. When you wake up in the morning... Perhaps you don't even know how to pray. Lord, remember me. 
when you're thrown into a situation that you didn't expect and you're not quite sure how to respond. Lord, remember me. Have you done this as a sinner? And do you do it over and over as a saint? Lord, deal with me not as I deserve, but according to your kingly majesty and mercy. Lord, I believe you are who you've said you are. I believe you do what you have said you will do. I believe you have died as it was promised you would die. I believe you have risen as it was promised you would rise. I believe you are reigning as it is declared you rule. I believe you will come again as has been declared. Lord God, remember me. Now that you're in your kingdom, your perspective in time may be different, but your spirit may be a precise echo of that of the living, trusting and serving thief. He trusted Christ wholly. This isn't desperation. This isn't the last roll of the dice. This is confidence. What a mercy of God. There is only one person who can help him at this point in his life. And it so happens that he is dying on the tree next to him. When you hear that all those that the Father has given me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Think about the thief on the cross. Is it within the power and the wisdom of the God of heaven to ensure that every one of his chosen people has the opportunity to hear, to see, to know, will be subjected to the inward influences of the Holy Spirit at that time and place of God's appointment that with faith and repentance he might look to Jesus Christ? You might have said, this man, he's got no chance. This man's had his opportunities. But it just so happens that he hangs on a cross next to the saviour of sinners. And he pleads, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ said to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And faith receives the promise of Jesus just as readily as faith sought the blessing of Jesus. You see, you need faith not just to ask Christ to save you, you need faith to believe that he actually will. That's what saving faith is. It takes Christ in his entirety for you in all your need. It trusts the word of God. It takes Jesus Christ at his word. You might almost have said it might have been easier for the man to believe if Jesus hadn't said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's almost as hard to calculate as the fact that he's saying in the first place, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom today. Today. I'm telling you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Luke doesn't say anything more, not because he's embarrassed to tell us about the fact that the thief said, well, that's a bit rich. That's more than I can rest upon. Luke tells us nothing else because the case is closed, because the work is done, because the man is at peace, because this soul is at rest. He trusts Christ wholly. He does not doubt his person or his promise. He casts himself upon the Redeemer and receives the blessing of God. We sometimes say, and we're right to do so, before the crown, a cross. This man went, man went from the cross to the crown. This man went from the very lowest to the very highest. This man stepped from Golgotha to glory, hanging on to the coattails of Jesus of Nazareth. In his dying moments, when he had no time, no energy, and no opportunity, he found time. He expended his energy. He seized his opportunity. Those minutes show him a monument of mercy, a man aglow with grace, bringing forth fruits worthy of repentance. As I was considering this passage, I had to put my excuses, my evasions, my complaints in the light of the living thief. How can you honour Jesus Christ? I don't have much time. I don't have much energy. I've got such little opportunity. Can you trust like he trusted? I think you can. Can you serve the way he served? I think you can. Can you live like the living thief lived before he died to the praise of the glory of the grace of your God and your Redeemer? My friends, I want to encourage you because if he could do this, how much is in within reach of us all? And I need to challenge you, because if he could do this, how is it that I have not? Amen.